He says, the first thing I want you to understand is that you wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, people aren't the source of your problem. They may be the conduit for your problem, but they're not the source of your problem. For we, Christians, wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and world forces that are located in heavenly places or the spiritual realm. But the real issue is the spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.12 says this, we're not fighting against human beings, but against wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. Recognize the source of the opposition, and it's Satan. Today is Sunday, October 14th. That means in two weeks, on this day, it'll be Halloween. Mm-hmm. 17th. Okay, let's rewind that whole thing. This is a hard thing about being live. It's like, man, I can't erase that. October 17th, thank you. Feel free to correct me all the way through this sermon today. I love humility as a good start. Um, so, it is October 17th, rewind, two weeks. It'll be Halloween, right? No cheering? No cheering. You know, there's... <laughs> yeah, it's true. The kids left. That's a good point. Who likes to watch horror movies? If that first thing didn't go, the sex one won't go. Come on, put them up. It's like, everybody's going to judge you. There you go. Online, just put your little hand up on your Facebook Live. I will confess somewhat... Um, there is one genre of horror movies I do like. You know, and they're all building up here this whole month, the month of October as we head towards Halloween. So don't judge me, but like zombie movies are my favorite. So I think it comes from like 25 years of paramedics seeing parts and blood and guts all the time. It's like, it's just a normal. It's like, hey, this is really cool. And it's not evil. They're virus things, right? They're not really, that's how I justify. That's how I justify watching it. There's one genre of horror movies that I don't like. Uh, the minute I watch it, I'll walk out of the room. It's anything that deals with evil spirits and they're moving in the darkness. Ah, it just freaks me out. I'm like, I do not like that genre at all. But I found out, you know, it took me a while to become a Christ follower in my life. But it, it, what I found out was horror movies and evil spirits and things were shaping my view of what spiritual warfare is. And then when I became a Christ follower, and I was still a babe in the woods, this book, there's this one book that really hit me that talked about spiritual warfare. It's a classic from 1986. Let me show you the cover here, This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. So it came out in 1986. It sold almost like 1.5, 2 million copies. It's really, it's a fiction book. Frank Peretti writes this fiction book, and it's about this little fictional town named Ashton where, and he paints the war that goes on in the invisible world all around this town, the influences of evil that start shaping the leaders in the town, the battle that goes on in this town. And I was, for a creative writer, he's amazing. And I just like sucked up this book, so did two million other people. Was like, and it shaped how I saw biblically what spiritual warfare is about. And I remember talking with a lot of friends afterwards saying, man, this book was so good. This present darkness was so good. It's like it showed me everything that goes on around me in an invisible world all the time. 
And I remember years later, I read an interview or saw an interview on Frank Peretti, and he, he says, you know the thing that drives me nuts is everybody reads this book, and he says, and they all talk about, man, now I can really see how spiritual forces work in the background. He goes, the book was about prayer. And it was true. It was about the power of prayer. And we'll talk a lot more about that over the next few weeks. So we are. We're in this series called This Means War. This Means War. The purpose of this series on spiritual warfare, it's five weeks, is to let you know that spiritual warfare is very real. To not be afraid. You're going to hear that a lot today. Do not be afraid. And this is how we fight. And this is how we fight. And that's what we're going to wrestle with over the next five weeks. Before we get there, I want to welcome everybody. For those of you who are new to Westview, my name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. For those online, we're really glad you're hanging out with us. Um, and so, I don't think I have any announcements, do I? You covered all of them. So that's good. But for our, for our folks who are new here, on the back of this worship guide is a sermon outline. These are like the five major points that, that frame this out, the six major points that frame this out. For those of you who are online, this is pinned on Facebook Live or it's on our, our website too, that you can follow along, fill us in. We really encourage you uh, to capture these notes uh, because it's great to reference back to as we go along. So let's, we're talking about spiritual warfare. And, and Chip Ingram writes this book called The Invisible War. And he, he gives these basic uh, truths about spiritual warfare that I think this would be great to start with this to kind of give you an overarching look at what we're going to talk about for five weeks. So he gives us these, these basic truths about spiritual warfare. First, there is an invisible world. There is an invisible world as real as our real world. And it's full of spirits, good and evil, demons, angels, Satan, all of them exist in this invisible world. The both the New Testament and the Old Testament are Bible. You go throughout them and you'll find out they reference this invisible world all the time. The second point that Chip Ingram will make is that in this invisible world, there is an invisible war. And it rages all the time. There is a war that rages every day between good and evil in this invisible world and it impacts the physical world. The enemy's strategy affects us every day. It influences the decisions that we make that harm us. And this invisible war has eternal consequence. So this is really important. This eternal or this, this invisible war that's going on has eternal consequence in this battle. The next thing that Chip reminds us is that our foe is formidable. A basic truth, our foe, the, the Satan, is real, and he has an army, and it's massive. Of all the angels, he's, he's a fallen angel, and a lot of angels followed him. His goal is to destroy God's people. His goal is to destroy the image, the knowledge, and the cause of Jesus. So Chip gives us this next point is that we must respect our foe, but not fear him. We must respect our foe, the enemy, but not fear him. We must become aware of Satan's lies, his strategy, and the Bible shows us how. We must respect him because he's powerful. He's powerful than you and I humanly are, far above that. But I don't like using that word respect, but it's the best I can come up with, uh, and because Chip used it. It doesn't mean we like him. It doesn't mean we appreciate him. 
It's kind of like when I was playing football, I remembered in seventh grade, there was this kid from a little town there. He was the William the Fridge Perry. He's huge. And all, our, all the coach told me to do was say, respect him. He's 150 pounds more than you. Just latch on to him and wait till help comes. And he did. He would just roar through us. And I was a little guy, 90 pounds. I just wrap on to him and hold on till help came, which rarely came. And I just got squashed. I respected him. I hated him. I mean, just, I shouldn't say hate, but man, he mowed me down. He drug me in the end zone like 20 times a day. But we're not to fear him. This is really important. We're not to fear him. And then what, I think a really important point here is why are we going to fear somebody who's already lost? And we're going to talk about that. There's another point. He gives us a fifth point. I'm going to wait on that one. I'm going to keep you hanging till the very end. But the next thing we're going to talk about over the next several minutes is all about this fifth point. So I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. It's in your New Testament. Uh, we'll have them up over here. I'm going to be reading primarily from the New Living Translation today, but it, Ephesians chapter 1. And while you're turning, I want to ask you, you this question. I, this is a you. What do you believe about, and this is rhetorical, you don't have to answer out loud, but what do you believe about Satan, demons, and angels? Like, bring this up in your mind. What do I believe and hopefully you have a better view than zombie movies than I did early on. I would hope that most of us here, because of a biblically-based church, that we'd have a biblical understanding, a healthy understanding of who the enemy is in spiritual warfare. But when I research, I see that, really the, that the majority of Christians at large tend to fall into two camps of belief when it comes to spiritual warfare. And this is our first sermon note together. Belief in Satan, demons, and angels is met commonly with skepticism or fascination. This is where a lot of people land and looked at a lot of different studies on this. One extreme is that people respond to an enemy and Satan and demons with skepticism. They believe, as surveys have shown us, let's just talk about Christians, surveys have shown for the last several decades that, that we tend to believe he's more symbolic than real. Like Satan himself is just a symbolic thing but not a real enemy. And what's interesting is more than half, half of Christians in America believe that. But this is shifting, that more are starting to believe in him. But let me tell you this. If we believe that Satan is symbolic, he's already won in his strategy because his best strategy is to say that, to not believe in him. And then he can work on how we believe on, in, in terms of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. But that's really unhealthy to be skeptical of somebody that's so real throughout the Bible. Another extreme is fascination. Unhealthy overinterest, investigation, fascination, even glorification of the enemy. And, and we see this happening because what we, what we describe is going on today here in America, pick on America, is that we're seeing this movement away from Orthodox Christianity. That means biblical understanding of who God is who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is. As a matter of fact, most people in America, as you know, will say I'm Christian, but they'll say I'm spiritual. And when you say I'm spiritual, it means I open myself up to believe a lot of different things. And so while America becomes more spiritual and less orthodox Christian, like really fundamental beliefs, hardcore truth, they tend to explore spiritual things, including the occult, not even knowing they're in bad territory. And I think one of the greatest examples of fascination is the billion-dollar horror movie industry. Is a 
huge fascination and love to be scared is part of that. There is a healthy understanding of spiritual warfare. It comes from Scripture, and here's the key. I'm going to say it again. It's not based on fear. It's not based on fear. Now, the next five weeks, we're going to really wrestle with who our opponent is, strategy, battlefield, all that stuff. And what we're going to do is give you an opportunity that we may, we're not going to be able to cover everything. We, we could if we went over 40 weeks, maybe, of this, but we're doing five if you have questions that come up about this sermon, not, not what we aren't talking about today, but this sermon, if you have questions like, hey, I would love it if you would answer this, I want you to write it on this Connect card. I want you to tear it off and drop it off in a box. I, those online, I'd love you to email us, or you can also fill out this Connect card online. Write us your questions. During the week, we're going to do a podcast to answer the questions that aren't being answered today, that may be like, ooh, what about this? I already had like a seven-year-old ask me some really hard questions. It's going to take me all week probably to answer them. But we welcome your questions. Hopefully we can get to all of them, but we're going to do a podcast this week to help you as we just go a little deeper in this together. All right, everybody there in, in, in Ephesus, chapter one, Ephesians? Okay, we're in a town of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. This is written by the early church leader, Paul who planted a lot of churches. I think he planted Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And so let me give you an idea where Ephesus is. It's in modern-day Turkey is where we'd find that. It was called, it's still called the province of Asia. Ephesus at this time when this was written, a few decades after Jesus rose from the grave, it was the capital. It was like the queen city in the Roman province of Asia. It was big. A lot of people came there. It was known for its power. It was known for its Greek culture splendor. Like, man, if you love Greek culture, which was kind of a cool thing, this was a place to go. And it also had a lot of influence with Oriental superstition and magic. Like, all these spirits, dark things just kind of came. But nothing compared, nothing compared to this big temple that was there. It was the Temple of Artemis. The Temple of Artemis, he connected it kind of to the Roman god Diana, which kind of everybody, this thing was massive there. As a matter of fact, this temple was so big, it's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple of Artemis in the town of Ephesus was a high place of worship of the false god, Artemis, Diana, the goddess of fertility, animals, hunting. People came from all over. This place was massive. It had been rebuilt or added on to two or three times. In its final glory, it was 450 feet long, 220 feet wide, 60 foot high, 127 plus pillars. People come from all over to worship a false spirit. And this city had all this, and yet it was completely empty because they did not know Jesus. So a group of Christians go there. Can you imagine planting a church in one of the darkest spiritual places you can imagine and plant a church This place was, back to the temple of Artemis. We've been talking about this for a couple weeks, and man, I hope these neighbors aren't visiting here today, but you know that huge skeleton on the corner just a block away? It's like 20 foot tall. And we always drive by it and was like, man, that thing's kind of daunting. It's like, it's kind of dark. It's kind of, it's lost its skull head. Now it has a pumpkin head. Now it's lost an arm. It's been blown over twice. We don't know if God's up to something. That's a 20-foot skeleton. Imagine the first Christians come to Ephesus and they had a temple bigger than a football field. Massive numbers of people worshiping dark spirits. 
The Ephesian church, as you study through the New Testament, you go into the book of Revelation, you see that they're a hardworking group of believers. They have a lot of false prophets, people influenced by dark spirits come in, invade the church. They just keep battling. They're surrounded. Let me paint this picture really quick. They're surrounded by a really dark world. And the Apostle Paul's writing in this letter, and he tells them to be strong. He tells them, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God through Jesus. And so with that background and knowing this, let's jump into Ephesians chapter 1, verse, starting in verse 15. Paul writes this, trying to encourage them. He knows their battle. He says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Now I also pray that you will understand this incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul knows how dark it is there. After he helped plant that church, he's writing him a letter saying, I want you to stand strong in your faith, but this is how we're going to do it. He didn't write them about Roman government oppression. He didn't write them about evil spirits all around him. He said, this is what the church needs. You need to grow in your knowledge of God through Jesus. Now, understand this word knowledge. It's in our subtitle, Knowing Who Wins. You'll see this no word all the way through today. Knowing is not filling up my head with facts about God. Knowing is a relationship with him like I would know my wife, intimately, deeply, so affected. Knowing God through Jesus is this thing at work, not this thing filling up with stuff. Now, this thing is an important part of that, but the heart change in a relationship is what this is about. So he says, I want you to grow in your knowledge, your relationship, and your depth. You'll need this as a little church battling in a dark place. He says, believe in the battle surrounding you, but the thing he's telling him, he didn't talk about fear, he didn't talk about false spirits. He says, I want you to believe in these three things. I'm praying about them for you. So it's your next sermon note. Three things he's praying for, that you believe in hope, inheritance, and power. In the midst of all this, Paul's saying, hang on to this. I want you to believe, I'm praying for this, that you believe in your hope, your inheritance, and power. He's talking about hope. He says, in this dark spiritual battle that you're in the midst of there, I want you to be flooded with light. I want you to understand that you have the light of hope. What is that hope? You have victory in Christ. 
Your hope is eternal life. And that just gets him right into inheritance. I, I want you to believe in the inheritance that you have. You are God's children as a church. You are adopted by him. You have inherited not only the family of God. Understand that you have inherited eternal life. You will live forever. Empower. Church, I want you to understand the power of God through Jesus. For this power is for you. So Paul, this is a prayer. Everything you're doing, these three things are most important. And these three things are most important for us today as we battle a dark spiritual world. So where does this hope, inheritance, and power come from? Let's get right back into it. Verse 21. Now he, Jesus, it's referring to Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the, say it loud, church. God has put Jesus in charge for the benefit of the church. That's us. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Jesus who fills all things everywhere with himself. So here's the answer. Where does hope, inheritance, power come from? It comes from Jesus. He's far above any power or any leader. Jesus is far above any human leader, any king or any president. There's no comparison how far above he is. And he's also above any leader in a spiritual realm. Satan, demons, or even heavenly angels, Jesus is not just above them, he is far above them. So far above that nothing can touch Jesus, nothing can defeat him, and nothing can bring him down. God has given all this to him. You wonder why we worship him. Your third sermon note, it makes this clear. Jesus has all power and authority for our benefit. Jesus has been given all power, all authority for the benefit of his people, the church. What does that mean? Not only that, we start to see what's happening here is we're joined in the scripture and the church is his body. We are joined to Jesus the day we believe. Why? So he can fill us and make us complete. This isn't a separation of us and God. This is knowing him, knowing his, him in me. So why is this power Inheritance, hope, inheritance, power. Why is this power so important to us? Well, let, let me jump over to another letter that Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Why is this a power important to us? Starting verse 13, you were dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of these charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, 
Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Why is it important to have hope, inheritance, and power? Because we were powerless without hope, without inheritance, and we were dead in our sins. We had no way to eternity. Jesus' death on the cross was such a powerful moment, and so was his resurrection when he rose three days later. And when that happened, he took away Satan's power and the power of death. Stole it from him. Jesus' power disarmed Satan and all the dark rulers of the spiritual world. Let me sure, in, in my confidence in Christ, your confidence as a follower of Christ is Satan can never steal your inheritance. He can never take away your assurance of heaven. He can do a lot of things. He cannot steal what billions of years are going to look like in eternity. That's power. That power that was given to Jesus, Scripture says it makes us alive. Not only alive for eternity, it makes us alive today to live differently because that power forgave us of all our sins. And I love this last Scripture where it talks about Jesus disarmed the spiritual world's authorities. You know, it says Jesus wasn't shamed on the cross if I take you back there, he was nailed to it for hours and he was naked. A public display to shame him. And what he did with it is he shamed Satan and every spiritual ruler because he beat him right there on the cross. Jesus has victory over all and because of that, he has all power and authority. So let's look at our fourth sermon note. Why is this so important as we roll forward? The same power that raised Jesus is in those who know him. This power is in you and me. Paul said, believe in this. When he's writing, he's saying, believe in the spiritual warfare that's going on. Believe in the battle that's happening. And believe you have hope, inheritance, and power. All because of Jesus and the power and authority given to him. Because we are his body. That is what the church is. We are the body of Christ. He is in us. And because of that, that same power is in us. It's not our power. It's him who dwells in us. We have power over sin for today and power over death for eternity. Paul's writing another letter, Philippians chapter three to to the Philippian church. He's writing this letter in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul's writing there that, you know, as he's growing and maturing as a follower and a huge leader of the Christian church, he desires to experience this power of Christ. How does he do it? He he knows this power from knowing Jesus. Look at that. I want to know him. And when I know him, I'm going to experience that power. Let's jump to 1 John 4.4. It reminds us, John, the apostle, writing to the churches, he says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
Can you put an exclamation mark on Jesus and what it's like when he dwells inside me? Greater is he who's in you than anything in this world. Is your fear gone yet? Keep working on it. Okay, hang on. Revelation 12, the last book of the Bible. Starting in verse 10, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God, heaven and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, Satan, of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Our power comes from Jesus, his work on the cross, and that power is shared in our testimony about him. Others will know this power when we're bold to declare it every day. Power for victory, power that defeats. So I could stop here and we'd probably walk out the door saying, why well, I get that power, but what does this power look like? How can I really apply this? What is that power inside me? I get who has the power, and I get he's in me, so how, does I, how do I access that power? What does it look like? How do I stand tall against the enemy? How do I engage in this real spiritual battle that I can't see? I can see the outcomes of it. This power comes from spiritual armor and weapons to engage an invisible spiritual battle. So we'll jump ahead to Ephesians chapter 6. You've heard this verse already twice today. Can you tell us that important? We're going to say it a third time. This is the last part, final part of this letter that Paul's writing to this little church in Ephesus. And here's that armor and that wep- those weapons and how we do it every day. Starting in verse 10, Paul says a final word before I wrap up this letter. Be strong, O Lord, in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Not some, all of them. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood, not those type of enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world, your version might say, in this present darkness where the book come from. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll be standing what? Flat on the ground, wiped out? No, 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 no. You'll be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on I'm only picking one piece today, the body armor of God's righteousness. Paul says, remember this, we're not fighting against people. How many times in counseling we're working with people, working with the church, and somebody's so mad at somebody, what they're doing is evil, and they personify them as evil, I said, would you please look over their shoulder and pray against the one who's influencing them? They're not your enemy. In marital counseling, your husband is not your enemy. <laughs> the enemy is behind them, influencing them, directing them. 
Paul says, our, we're not fighting against flesh and blood people. We're fighting against evil spirits that influence. And he names all these levels. He knows there's all these levels of authority in the dark world and in the world of light. So he's telling them as we gear up church to go right back out in Ephesus and go around the temple of Artemis today, you're going to need seven pieces of armor. Some are armor, some are weapons. But we call it God's armor. And he says, here's the first piece to put on. It's your fifth sermon. He says, gear up with the body armor of righteousness. Now, these are out of order for a reason because each piece speaks to, I think, what we're talking about today. So I'm jumping ahead to like the third piece. But this one's important. Gear up with the body armor of righteousness. Body armor goes from here to here. What does it protect? The heart. This is a place I know God through Jesus. And this is a place the enemy goes after first. So the body armor of righteousness protects my heart. Where the enemy loves to detract who Jesus is, who God is, and get me to believe lies about him. But why do they call it righteousness? Because we were made righteous in God's eyes the day that we believed in Jesus and we decided to follow him. We were made right in his eyes. And on that day, he gave us this piece of body armor to protect our heart, which was now committed to follow Christ. That decision not only changed our hearts, it now protects our hearts. And so not only are we protecting that righteousness that came from Christ, we also, because of this decision to follow Jesus, we live righteously. I live differently every day. I live making right decisions. Not because I'm worried about getting in trouble. I'm making right decisions every day because I love Jesus and I know him and I know what this does to my relationship with him. That's why I put this on. I hate consequence too, but I hate what it does. As I grow on my maturity, I hate what it does to my relationship with him. So I put this on. I was made right in God's eyes the day I believed. And yet I'm still a guy who sins. And because my heart's so changed, I strive every day to live better. And when I don't, I know that gets chinks in my armor that gives him room to move and the enemy finds weak points. Our heart is susceptible to the wickedness in this world, but our protection is a righteousness that comes from Christ. We cannot become righteous on our own. We can't become righteous through good works. We became righteous because Jesus died on a cross and he gave that righteousness to us. That even today when I sin and I get hit by a Mack truck on the way home today, that God will see me as righteous because of what Jesus did. And this might floor you a little bit, but because of that righteousness of Christ, God sees us as sinless even though we're not. 2 Corinthians 5, God made Christ who had never sinned to be the offering for our sin that so we could be made right in his eyes. So accept your Christ-given righteousness, but let it cover and protect you. That's why we start here. This whole thing is about Christ. And so let's put on a piece of armor that starts with him too. So let me show you those basic truths again from Chip. Let me just throw this out one more time. There is an invisible world. 
And you better believe there's an invisible war going around us all the time. That invisible war whispers in our ear all day long. Our foe is formidable. We must respect him. Ladies and gentlemen, the biggest thing I think we're dealing with in church right now is the last 18 months is fear. And I'm going to push back so hard against fear. For those in Christ should not have fear. We must respect our foe but not fear him. Chip has one more point. But I'm going to let the worship team share that as we go out. It's like the capstone of the whole day. Have no fear, church. Have no fear. The world out there is scared. We're not. And I just explained why. Because we have hope, inheritance, and power. Put on the armor of righteousness. Everybody, when you walk out of here today, put on that armor. Protect your heart, which now belongs to Christ. And if you don't know Christ, if you've never made that decision, would you fill out this card and say, would you help me understand that and walk with me? And we will. But don't walk out here without any armor on today. You're an easy target. And when you put on that armor of righteousness as you leave here, remember this again. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let's go to offering together. Offering is a time that we that we give our best back to God. When you leave today, a financial gift here always fuels the mission this church is reaching around the world with the good news of Jesus. And right here in Manhattan, when, you've, when you give, it fuels the body of Christ. You can drop your gifts off. Uh, those who are so online, you can give online. You can drop them off here as you walk out today. To our, to our guests, that Connect card is really important. Lene brought that up. It's really important that we can reach out to you and see if we can help you on your journey to find a home. Uh, you can drop that off at our Welcome Center. Out there, we have a gift for you, or just drop them off in the boxes here. Those online, we would love you to connect with us too. But offering is let's give our best, whether it's our treasure, whether it's our time, whether it's our talent, or I think the biggest gift we can give them today is get rid of our fear. And let's go to prayer. Let's, let's pray that for that together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. We hit a lot of it today. There's so much truth here. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has the victory, and because he has the victory, we have the victory. Father, that church in Ephesus was so brave. My prayer is that Paul's words fall upon our ears today, that we are brave. We have nothing to fear because we have hope, we have inheritance, and we have power. But it's not our power. It's the power of the one we invited in. Father, have everybody suit up here with armor as they go out today. And if they don't know what that armor looks like, have them be brave and write on their card, would you introduce me to Jesus and let us walk with him. Father, our financial gifts are good, our, our commitment to time for you, prayer, all these things are good. But there's one thing that's the enemy's best weapon, and that's fear. And Father, our nation is enveloped in fear and we have no reason to be fearful. That's why the first two words of our vision are be bold. Father, help us get rid of our fear. Help us know you 
that we do have hope. The victory is ours because of Jesus. That we have inheritance. We are your children who get to spend eternity with you. And we have power. Not ours. Yours. Because we invite you in to be in us. Let's go charging out the doors as that kind of church. And let's bring the light to this city, to our nation, and to the world. We pray all this in the power of the one who has all authority. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.